Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been the victim of gossip or rumors? Ever overheard snide comments that you weren't supposed to overhear? Knowing that others are judging you, looking down on you, can be a painful experience. There are many warnings in the Bible against gossip and judging others because these activities harm human relationships and they don't reflect the character of God. I read an article about a man named Eddie Bueno, who was the target of gossip and hurtful comments most of his life. Eddie grew up in a very large family of 18 children. The Bueno family had a pretty awful reputation for crime. One of the local newspapers in Eddie's hometown of Denver ran a story on the Buenos titled, Denver's Biggest Crime Family. It mentioned that 15 of the 18 Bueno siblings had arrest records. Eddie, who had left his family when he was 13, had led a morally upright life and had never been in trouble with the law. The article did not mention that fact. Imagine how that would hurt your self-esteem and your reputation to have your family publicly branded as the biggest crime family in your city. Eddie Buene was so hurt by the article that he sued the newspaper under a legal precedent called false light of invasion, false light invasion of privacy. What is that? It is similar to suing a person or organization for defamation of character. The jury in the original case sided with Eddie Bueno against the newspaper awarding him $100,000. However, an appeals court overturned the verdict. But Eddie had his reputation restored. Not that he had a perfect reputation, but as far as the crimes of his family was, members were concerned, he was innocent. And I wonder how Matthew, the tax collector, felt every time somebody gossiped about him or looked down on him for his profession. He couldn't sue anyone. He had earned his horrible reputation. He may not have been a bad person per se, but his profession had that bad reputation and he could not have escaped it. It was part of being a tax collector. In our gospel reading, Matthew writes about a totally unexpected moment when Jesus chose him to be a disciple. And he even included a little detail you'd think he'd want to forget. The comment from one of the religious leaders questioning Jesus' choice to eat with no good sinners like him. It was completely unexpected that Jesus would choose Matthew, a tax collector, as his disciple. As you see in the Gospels over and over again, to be a tax collector is to have a bad reputation. The Jews who went on to become tax collectors for the Roman government knew what they were going in for, and they stayed in it because there was money to be made. It is hard to imagine that there was a tax collector who was on the side of the people. It was the nature of their profession. You know, in our own day, we don't find joy in paying our taxes. Tax filing season comes around, and if you are owing, you delay as much as possible before you pay. Sometimes it is because you are not happy with the way you believe the government will use those tax dollars. You disagree with the policies, 
yet you end up paying because, well, you might suffer negative consequences if you don't. Penalties. You could even end up in jail. But the IRS is a faceless organization. You could make some noise, but which individual are you going to confront? In the time of Jesus, you knew exactly whom you could confront. That might still land you in a bit of trouble, but you knew the tax collector. You knew his name, and perhaps you knew where he lived. People did not like tax collectors. Things haven't changed as much as you think. Archaeologists have uncovered a 3,000-year-old tablet in Iraq. It had on it this inscription. You can have a lord. You can have a king. But the man to fear is a tax collector. This was 3,000 years ago. It is likely that Matthew was a tax collector of indirect taxes, customs and sales taxes for goods as they passed through booths in towns, in his case, through Capernaum. Under the Roman tax system, these tax collectors would bid on the right to collect the taxes. The Romans would award the contract to the highest bidder. You can well imagine that since the tax collectors are pre-financing, they can easily charge any interest they wanted. Such a system could easily lead to greed, which it did indeed. You know the famous case of one person who was so excited after meeting Jesus, he confessed, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I'm talking, of course, about Zacchaeus. You may remember how things felt recently when grocery prices went up by quite a lot. Something you used to buy for $10 was suddenly 15 and no matter how the government or economists explained it, it did not make buyers happy. You couldn't say you quit eating. Gas prices were up. Pocketbook issues make you want to blame somebody or something. It is summed up in the word inflation. If you watch the news, you see the graphs creeping up. The tax collectors made no friends. It seems their only friends were fellow tax collectors. Makes me wonder whether Matthew had been thinking about quitting this tax collecting business as he sat daily in his booth, isolated, knowing that nobody liked him. Well, not exactly. People in his profession liked him. I guess they had to band together if their profession was to survive in order for them to continue making a lot of money. I don't know how many times Jesus had walked by Matthew's booth or if he had ever said a word to him. I would not be surprised if he had, given that Jesus was, without a doubt, a people person. He would talk to anybody, man or woman, a devout religious person or not. His aim was to show them God's mercy and invite them to become members of God's family without preconditions. So on this day, he heads straight to Matthew's booth and calls him, follow me. No small talk, no icebreakers, no getting to know each other better. A simple command, follow me. Immediately, Matthew gets up and follows him. Now, we are not privy to any conversations Jesus had had with him, but from what we subsequently read, that Matthew organized a dinner with many tax collectors and sinners present, we can infer that Jesus had told him about God's love and mercy for him. Somehow, 
the Pharisees, who were careful to keep the law of God, heard about this party. They seemed to have representatives all over the place. They commanded great respect and were interpreters of the law. If we were just to look at outward, outward observance and performance, they were the righteous people. They were always quick to notice people who had bad reputations, people who did not deserve God's mercy and love according to their standards. Now, even though they may not have always looked down on those who were not up to their standards in keeping the law, in this case, they did. Now, we might be curious to know exactly who the sinners were, but the Gospels do not clearly define it for us. Scholars have long debated precisely whom the term sinners applied to in ancient Israel. Most have concluded that the sinners were people who habitually behaved in immoral ways or in ways that contradicted widely shared religious observations. It applied to people who were subject to general social disapproval. They did not have a good reputation. The Pharisees questioned the motive and qualification of Jesus to be a religious teacher, a rabbi. If he was a true teacher, he would know not to mingle so freely with the cheats and those whose moral standards were really low. But Jesus had come precisely to show mercy for such people. In fact, he had come to show mercy for all people, including the Pharisees and those who were quick to judge. It may be hard to stomach, even for us who love and appreciate that he has shown mercy to us. We can acknowledge that Jesus came for that purpose, to show mercy to all. We can easily affirm it in an abstract kind of way. But when something affects us personally, it can be hard for us to rejoice that Jesus has mercy for all. Have you ever had your property destroyed before? Have you ever had something precious to you stolen before? Has someone treated you disrespectfully before? Do you remember that time when somebody you had been kind to acted as if you were their enemy and spoke harshly to you? What about that time when somebody questioned your motives even though you had the best of intentions? Did you feel hurt? When any of these things happen to you, your first thought is not to be glad that you have a God who has mercy for all. Your first thought is for revenge. When Jesus heard the religious leaders question his qualification to be a true teacher, he said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Eddie Bueno, he had his character smeared. Does that make him a person who does not need God's mercy for his own life? Most certainly not. Regardless of how well he lived, he still needs the mercy of God because God's mercy is for all, regardless of who they are or what they have done or not done. Even if you are the injured party in a specific case, you are still a human being who needs the mercy of God. Even if you don't or have never looked down on anybody, even if you have never laughed at a joke at somebody's expense, even if you have never been a party to a group that gossiped about a fellow human being, you still need the mercy of God. Because guess what? 
you are not perfect in every way. Neither am I. The Pharisees were right that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, but they should have included themselves and joined the party because the one who in his mercy had come down from heaven to dispense his mercy to all was there. He, the doctor who has the solution for the one disease that affects all without exception, was there. He is the doctor on call, not only for certain days, but for every day. This doctor, Jesus, has called you to join the party of tax collectors and sinners, not because he encourages you to sin, but because he came to bring healing for you. You know, he made the ultimate sacrifice. He allowed himself to be treated shamefully, tortured, and crucified as if he was a tax collector and sinner, and the worst one at that. But even as he hung on the cross, he told a criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. And he prayed to God the Father to forgive those who had mistreated him so badly and those who were mocking him for not being able to save himself, for not coming down from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That is his attitude toward you and me. That's God's mercy for all. As proof that the mercy he provides for all is valid, he did not remain dead and in the grave after his lifeless body was taken down from the cross and buried. He rose again on the third day, completely vindicated by what he came to do. Jesus showed mercy to Matthew. Matthew left his profession and became an apostle of Jesus. Not only that, he wrote a gospel. We don't see him having a conversation with anybody, but what he would say in a conversation, if we could hear it, is what we find in his gospel. It has been a blessing to all Christians for 2,000 years and will continue to do so until Jesus comes again. That mercy that Jesus showed has not ended with his ascension into heaven. Even today, as you sit here in church and have confessed your sins and sinfulness to him, know that he has forgiven you and he will never change his mind about that for you. He is who he is, always gracious and merciful. What he has forgiven you of is gone forever. He knows you well. He knows you will sin again, intentionally or unintentionally. He knows somebody will say something to you that you will not appreciate. He knows you might justify, then justify your reaction. Still, he tells you to bring your sins and what causes you to sin to him, to call upon him. And before there is even a word on your lips, he has heard you because he always has mercy for you. His mercy is for all. But it is not just for all in a general sort of way. It is particularly for you. When you get frustrated, overwhelmed, by your failure to meet his standards, picture him having sent you a greeting card with the words, God's mercy is for me because it is true. Amen. And I